We talk a lot on this show about whistleblowing in government and in banking. It seems that both of those worlds can create a perfect storm of wrongdoing that forces those with a conscience to stand up and say something. But what about in big corporations? What about in the biggest company in the world? When the bottom line is profits, nearly every company will cut corners, but sometimes they'll do it at a cost to the health and the safety of their workers and to the public's privacy. And for a whistleblower, that's just not going to work. I'm John Kiriakou. Welcome to The Whistleblowers. Ashley Gilvick was a highly motivated, highly educated tech whiz when she began working at Apple in 2015. She was hired as a program manager, she was making good money, and she had a great deal of responsibility. An incident in her personal life where there was an environmental danger in her apartment complex attuned her to environmental issues at work, too. When Apple announced internally that it was going to conduct something called a vapor intrusion test, she objected, saying that it was unsafe for employees. Spoiler alert, she was right, of course. But the company pushed back hard. Shortly thereafter, Ashley fainted at work and did not know why. This contributed to her concerns that Apple had not properly tested the worksite for contaminants. She also believed Apple had not sufficiently informed employees of the possible health problems from chemical exposure. She was told that Apple had no legal requirement to do so, but Ashley was onto something. As it turned out, the building in which she worked for Apple was built on a toxic waste site that was supposed to have been managed by the defense giant Northrop Grumman. A carcinogen called trichloroethylene was known to have been disposed of there and had leaked into the soil. Even the government admitted that the groundwater at the site was contaminated. A government study in 2019 found the issue had been addressed, but then in 2021, employees were found to have been exposed to poisonous fumes through cracks in the floor. Ashley filed complaints with the Environmental Protection Agency and the National Labor Relations Board. She also filed a whistleblower complaint with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and with the U.S. Department of Labor. And when she approached Apple about correcting all of these problems, she was told her only option was simply to work from home. More whistleblowing was to follow. Ashley complained that some of Apple's internal policies on employee privacy, on the privacy of the public, and on the retention of documents and user data were unethical. She even filed complaints in the UK with the Data Protection Information Commissioner's Office, in the Counterpart Office in Brussels, and in Dublin with the Data Protection Commissioner. Those complaints are still under investigation. Not only did Ashley not receive any help or satisfaction from Apple, the company began to harass her. In response, she took to Twitter to air her complaints. Consequently, she was retaliated against repeatedly and was transferred. In the end, she was fired. Some of the complaints Ashley made are still being investigated. On others, the National Labor Relations Board found that she had told the truth, and Apple had overstepped its bounds, had retaliated against her, and had deprived employees of their constitutional rights. I have wanted to meet Ashley Gilbick for a long time, and I'm very pleased to have her with us on the show. Ashley, welcome. It's great having you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to meet you, too. 
Oh, the pleasure is mine. And my goodness, there is so much to ask you. When you decided to blow the whistle on wrongdoing at Apple, you really decided to blow the whistle. Tell us about how this whole thing got started. It was all about environmental issues at the beginning. What made you initially decide to make that complaint? Yeah, it turned into something very, very complicated, but it started with something very simple, which was I moved into a new apartment complex and I got very ill immediately. Uh, I was on short-term disability. I thought I could be dying. Doctors were screening me for fatal illnesses. Uh, seven months later, I discover the apartment was built on a toxic waste cleanup site. Uh, and then two years later, I find out that uh, my employer at that time, Apple, was operating a secret semiconductor manufacturing plant outside our windows, venting a bunch of solvents into our windows. Um, so there was solvent exposure. That was the root cause of my illness. And through that experience, I learn about these cleanup sites. I learn about how in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of ways, whether you're at work or just you know in your home, that you can be exposed to this and it can make you very ill. Uh, I assumed I was not the only one affected, and I was not. So I undertook a project to figure out what was going on and report it to government agencies. Um, we finally got to the bottom of it. It is being investigated. Apple was implicated. But through this, I kind of became what I call an armchair expert in these cleanup sites um, and these environmental laws. So all of that was happening in 2020. Um, I was not satisfied with the government response, so I ended up publishing an expose of what happened to me and asking for more intervention um, beginning of 2021. And right at that time, an email comes into my inbox at Apple saying that they want to test our office for vapor intrusion. And that's all it says. But I had become an expert at this point, so I knew exactly what that term meant. Mm -hmm. um, and I yeah, I had briefly been informed that my Apple office was something called a super fund site by a friend who grew up in the area, not Apple. So I had been in that office since 2017, and she's like, you know, that's a really bad super fund site. Kind of explained that it was about pollution and toxic waste, but I'd kind of put it aside. Um, and, but that all, you know, the lights went off when I saw that email that what they're saying is they want to test and see if that toxic waste from the Superfund site in the groundwater and soil was pushing up into our indoor air where we were at our desks and we were breathing it in. And through this experience, I also learned that in Silicon Valley, two of the most common chemicals are trichloroethylene, TCE, mm -hmm. and chloride, which both are carcinogens and very, very dangerous. So from that email, I start looking through the documentation, start asking questions. I'm very dissatisfied with all of the answers I'm seeing, not just from uh, my employer's oversight of the office, but how the EPA had been overseeing it, which was not at all. They kind of neglected it, weren't paying attention. And then as soon as I start asking questions and identifying issues, which the EPA later confirmed, all of my concerns were correct and they had the same concerns. Um, Apple started just you know, trying to shut me up, retaliating, telling me not to tell anyone else. They didn't want me to tell the government what they were doing. Um, so chaos ensues from there. Good Lord. We should say too that a Superfund site is a site that is so toxic, it's so dangerous, that the Environmental Protection Administration has to come in at a cost sometimes of billions of dollars to try to clean it up. But like any government uh, bureaucracy, Sometimes they do a great job, sometimes they do a terrible job. And it sounds like in this case they did a terrible job. 
So the Superfund program is very interesting. You, what you said is correct, but like to add another angle, which you may appreciate as someone that worked in the federal government, um, there's a lot of politics mm-hmm. about funding and who will clean it up, and especially considering a lot of these sites, even if not directly, are DOD. Right. So it was a lot of defense contractors. It was a lot of military operations. Uh, so how does the federal government force itself to clean up stuff when they don't want to? How do they force corporations to when corporations ultimately, if they're big enough, can just say, no, I'm not going to do anything. So it's a lot of compromise, influence, some funding, some taxpayer dollars goes into trying to help clean this up, which is very demoralizing when you look at these huge companies with so much money who made a mess and should just clean it up. And it seems like the rest of your whistleblowing happened in very rapid succession. After your initial revelations about the environmental issues and the fact that Apple was literally sitting on this toxic Superfund site, what then led to your decision to make additional disclosures? Yeah, so as I went through this experience, even starting with the apartment and seeing the response of the government, you know, what I just said, now I'm kind of saying a Stockholm syndrome, of like, let me explain why they tolerate companies to not clean this stuff up. But when this all started, it was shocking to me that you could have this kind of pollution that science and medicine show can cause cancer, can kill people. They don't even tell people, they do the very bare minimum of cleaning it up. And then when you raise concerns, even when you are very ill, and all of my symptoms turned out to be solvent exposure. All of them were diagnosed by an occupational uh, exposure doctors. Like all of that is solvent exposure. You don't have MS, you don't have cancer, you don't have an aneurysm, what up, you know, all the other stuff I screened for. Um, but even then the responses were very clear to me that these companies and even the government didn't really care if I lived or died. It was right. just kind of business for them. Uh, and as I start looking into that more, this is a huge issue, especially for folks that don't have a lot of resources or may already be prone to discrimination. A lot of these toxic hotspots are in areas with black and native people, with people living in poverty, mm-hmm. who have even less resources. Uh, so it's kind of like, a they call them sacrifice zones. Uh, for the use of property, we're just gonna let some people die. Uh, and to me, that was so jarring and upsetting and fundamentally changed me in the way that I viewed my relationship with these companies, including my employer. So when my employer's response to my questions about my office, especially after everything I had just gone through, and they knew it was chemical exposure too, uh, it showed me they don't care if I live or die either. And in fact, they want to cover it up and make sure I don't tell any of my coworkers that their health could be at risk just because of liability. Mm-hmm. So for me, it just shifted something inside me where I lost any of that, you know, assume good intent or cognitive dissonance you have at work when you don't necessarily align with your employer's values. They say something that kind of upsets you, but you put it to the side. And I was just done mm-hmm. because they were, they saw me as completely disposable. I had worked, you know, 80 hour weeks for nearly seven years at this company. I did everything I could to try to help them with their products and processes and teams and make things better. And they literally are just like, don't tell other people that they're gonna get cancer too. So as they started retaliating, I really, I had no rose-colored glasses left. And I'd love I to know, what, what was the reaction from your colleagues? You'd been at, at Apple for almost six years. Were people supportive? After all, this, this directly impacted them. Were they helpful to you? Did they pull you aside privately and offer support? Or did they just put their heads down and walk away and try to protect themselves? So Apple has a very unique and sick culture that mm. There's not, it's not comparable to many other companies, if any. They pride themselves with extreme secrecy. 
they brag about all their ex-CIA and say they're like the private sector CIA. Um, so they really, uh, the culture is based on not sharing information publicly, not sharing information with each other, following mm -hmm. uh, things. I'm pretty sure they were using the Bybee control system for our disclosures was a recent discovery they were copying in a row. You know, so it's very compartmentalized. And that definitely means that most of our friends were our coworkers. Right. When you're told anything about your work, uh, and they started even to send us to jail for vaguely leaking. You just kind of keep it internal. So most of my friends were my coworkers, and the ones that were following along with all this were very supportive because they were outraged just along with me as everything they were seeing. Um, but then Apple's telling me not to talk to my coworkers, to not tell anyone about what's going on, and I go along with it for a little while because I was terrified sure. of them. Sure. All terrified. Them. So, but then I kind of break when they're retaliating more, clearly covering up the environmental issues, really pressing not to tell EPA. And so I kind of, the first taking it public was taking it public just to the communication tools at the company. Mm -hmm. So it was still internal, but for Apple, that was public because they're so secretive. And there was just an outpouring of people who also had these horror stories of trying to raise real concerns and just being immediately retaliated upon and being covered up, them being told not to tell anyone. So there was a huge response there that was positive, but then there was also backlash from a lot of people that for some reason are used to or rely on the system of secrecy, saying you're leaking, your concerns about work conditions, don't tell anyone. So there was already backlash there. And then when I resorted to going public in August, when I went on Twitter and just started sharing stuff, because it was clear my employer was doing nothing helpful and just mostly nefarious. Yes. So I started sharing internal documents and telling you know the public what's going on. Uh, it was also a mix. There were more coworkers that came forward publicly as well and also shared their stories. But then a lot of backlash, a lot of smears, a lot of division. Um, and Apple's been fueling that, of course, for the last couple years to try to get everyone to fight each other. Uh, because if we have any hope of actually improving things as workers, we need to organize. So they seem to be doing everything they can to not have us do that in all of their sectors, in including retailers. I'm sorry to interrupt you. In, in the interim between your revelations and the corporate decision to try to push you out, what was it like for you inside Apple? Were you kept at arm's length? Did the company try to implement any changes based on your revelations? Or did they want to fight from the beginning? Human resources, for example, which was supposed to protect you, certainly didn't protect you. I'll also point out that Apple CEO Tim Cook sent out a, a company-wide email about you that, at least to my eyes, seemed like a threat. Yes. <laughs> so uh, that, again, one of the reasons I think I didn't even think that my escalations would go anywhere, so I was immediately just documenting everything, kind of knowing there was going to be a lawsuit, I'm probably going to have to take stuff public, was I raised real concerns about safety. My bosses told me not to tell anyone about my safety concerns. I go to HR, and this is like the bare minimum of what HR should do, is like explain labor laws to executives. But instead, she retaliates against me openly and refuses to explain the safety protections to him that employees can't talk about safety. Um, and when she's doing that, it just, it, it kind of showed me, okay, everything's set up now to push me out. They're not gonna even, it doesn't matter what my position was, what I accomplished, what my, net, you know, I was networked amongst senior directors and VPs, didn't matter. They were gonna smear me, destroy me, push me out, find ways to fire me. Um, so they kept doing that and that's, you know, it's come out, that's a, a very strong pattern from them. Um, and yeah, I, closer to me getting fired, uh, the bosses did, I had two bosses, 
One of them was giving me a bunch of projects that were set up to fail and to make everyone upset at me. And then the other ones were moving me from projects and emails and not responding to any of my emails, which are two of the things that they love to do in these situations. Um, so yeah, I'm being removed from even my actual responsibilities. I'm being repeatedly told not to talk to coworkers, not to organize. Um, and then as I'm pushed out on leave, uh, within a couple of days, I'm hearing there's meetings about me across the organization saying they're going to like talk about me at the next all hands, which was clear to me that I was going to be fired. They already knew they were going to fire me. Otherwise, they're not talking about me while I'm at the all hands. So, you know, they're already showing everyone, OK, we're pretending Ashley's out on this leave that we're claiming is not punitive, but we're clearly going to fire her and we're preparing for it. So at that point, a lot of people pull away. Mm -hmm. uh, I start losing a lot of friends. They're scared. I don't blame them because of Apple's sick culture. It's a real fear of retaliation. And I've had to deal with that because I've lost most of my friends. Mm -hmm. They were coworkers, the ones that are still there. Some of them even left the country. Wow. Right. It's just so this is why one of I kind of took an addition to the retaliation and the environmental issues, the NDAs and the culture of secrecy. I filed mm -hmm. charges about that. That email that Tim Cook sent, which I think definitely referenced me, I think at least one other person, and was definitely a threat to his entire staff. He said that anything internal is confidential and they will fire anyone who shares anything internal. And he was referencing a meeting where he talked about pay equity and benefits. So, I mean, now, you know, they told me not to talk about safety. So he's making it very clear, like we are standing behind our sick culture. Mm -hmm. So I filed charges, the NLRB agreed with me that email is a violation of federal law. Most of Apple's NDAs and employment policies also violate federal law. I sent them like 20 different documents, including the employment agreement I signed when I joined. Um, so they're working on, it sounds like a complaint now that's if Apple doesn't settle, it's gonna go to court. And Apple, I expect is gonna lose on dozens of charges against these policies because they're facially illegal. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that starts to help a sea change at Apple where employees can try to speak up a little bit. I think it's gonna take a very long time though because everyone's so used to secrecy and intimidation and fear. Ashley, thank you very much. Hold on to, we are going to continue our conversation with Apple whistleblower Ashley Giovic about her experience with a wide variety of whistleblowing at the tech giant. We're gonna take a short break and then come back to talk about life after whistleblowing. Stay tuned. Als Teil der Sanktionen gegen Russland gehen die westlichen Länder gegen russische Auslandssender vor. We will ban in the European Union the Kremlin's media machine. The state-owned Russia Today and Sputnik. RT, Sputnik, even our video agency, roughly, all banned on YouTube. And thank you all for your fidelity and your support.
Since 2016, numerous monuments to Soviet soldiers in Poland, Ukraine and the Baltic states have been destroyed or vandalized. The Polish government denies the role of Soviet soldiers in the victory over Nazism and is erasing historical memories of World War II. Although it did seem the Nazi regime's atrocities would remain fixed in people's consciousness forever, but as long as Russophobia is profitable and brings dividends, Europe will endeavor to rewrite the past. Welcome back to The Whistleblowers. I'm John Kiriakou. We're speaking with Ashley Gilvick, a whistleblower from Apple, who called attention to environmental dangers at the world's biggest company, as well as privacy concerns and other issues. And as you might expect, she paid for her whistleblowing with her career. Ashley, good to have you with us. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, John. Ashley, tell us about some of the legal issues involved in your whistleblowing. It seems to me that here you were making protected whistleblower disclosures. At the very least, the company should have been investigating your complaints. But as often happens, they attack the messenger. Apple is represented by one of the most powerful law firms in the world, O'Melveny & Myers. Did you have any representation? Was there anybody out there to protect your interests? Or were you on your own? I was on my own in every way possible. Oh. This, I think, is another uh, issue with these huge tech corporations that have way too much control. Um, so for lawyers, they were all intimidated by how complicated the case was. And then Apple is notoriously very difficult in court. So they didn't want to go to court. They wanted to get an NDA and settle. And I did not want to do that. I wanted to make sure that what they did was known and that they have to fix the issues. So I ended up, I was halfway through law school, so I've just taken it on representing myself, um, wow. which allows me to be a bit more agile too, because there are a number of issues from environmental to retaliation, to a SOX uh, whistleblower case. So I can just research and learn instead of having to have like seven firms, which is what actually Apple has now. Uh, the, the firm you mentioned was one of the first ones they retained who sent me harassing emails about the privacy concerns but they've since hired Oric and MWE and Morgan Lewis and probably more firms I don't even know about, <laughs> uh, a bunch of partners. So it's this huge team, but I was fortunate enough that Apple violated a number of laws egregiously with a ton of documentation and evidence, and I was able to get that in hand. Wow. So if things can be decided on the merit, I'm gonna win every case. And I'm currently 5-0. I've won five, they look, they've lost five. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. As so, I'm, you know, go ahead. no, I'm sorry, please go right ahead. Oh, I was going to say it's really David and Goliath. And it shows, I oh, think, yeah. why so few people challenge these companies. The NLRB charge uh, for that Tim Cook email you mentioned, they lost in January of this year. NLRB said that violates federal law. They hired an army of Morgan Lewis attorneys, including a previous NLRB board member. So an executive for the agency and somehow tried to do this like appeal outside of a normal appeal process. So I had to not only respond to the substantive arguments of you still lose, but also say you're violating the constitution and the Administrative Procedures Act, please stop. 
and I won, but it's like, why am I, I'm not even a licensed attorney and I have to fight previous agency executives. So, you know, I think that just shows why these companies get away with this stuff. There's not a lot of people who are equipped to try to do this and most lawyers won't. And then NGOs, most of them are captured by companies like Apple, whether it's funding, uh, advertising, or they need an app in an app store, or they need their podcast uh, be able to post it. There's all these influences that just make people not want to challenge Apple or Google. Right. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, whenever the government investigated your allegations, they found that you were telling the truth. Several of the things that you revealed are still being investigated, but in the end, Apple threw you out. Was there anything at all that you could do about that? I know that you have a lawsuit pending. You have multiple lawsuits pending. But as best as you're able, can you tell us a little bit about the personal impact on you and, and how you've begun recovering? Well, first I want to say, like, not only was I right, I was more right than I knew. So as I've been doing FOIA requests and trying to figure out what actually happened, I was suspended just a couple of days after the EPA informed Apple they would be inspecting my office due to my disclosures about Apple's CERCLA non-compliance. That was the stated justification, was Ashley told us what you're doing, we need to come see. They found a bunch of issues, Apple got in trouble, and then I was fired. And Apple hid that inspection and all the issues from me, tried to, but I found out. Uh, so there's a number of those type of stories where it was already really bad and it was far worse even than I knew. Um, so as I'm digging, I'm, I'm pressing these agencies and really trying to make sure the issues are addressed. I have retaliation cases with U.S. Department of Labor and NLRB and California Department of Labor, but it's taking a very long time. Uh, and I kind of see these battles as a primary, secondary, and tertiary, where the primary was all the environmental stuff. Secondary was seeing all the retaliation and reporting the retaliation and trying to organize with people to get that addressed and try to get them to stop that at least a little bit. And then the tertiary is just realizing how few protections whistleblowers actually have in this country. I, I would not actually use the word protection for any of our laws. Right. You at best have a chance maybe of a remedy years after the fact if you go through an adjudication process that will be traumatizing on its own. Indeed. Which I'm doing, but I'm trying to bring to light just how, uh, you know, it's working as designed by the industry, mm -hmm. but for whistleblowers, it destroys us. We're already traumatized. We're already ostracized. Going years without a government saying this person should not have been fired. Just that yeah. statement, yeah. you know, you have trouble finding work. People doubt your credibility. You Like, even if you decide you want to do whistleblower advocacy, there's still that open question of like, was this person right? I was lucky enough that I got FOIA documents way earlier on saying like, I was right. Uh, that's rare, that's extraordinarily rare. So I've been writing about uh, the current state of whistleblowing, both with legal and policy and advocacy, but also just the emotional turmoil. I went through what so many of us do where you just feel like you lost your, your place in the world. That's you don't right. know what to call yourself. You don't know how to fit in. It's lots of depression. I used up all my savings. I still can't find a job. I am pro se on all of my cases. So I'm doing that while I'm trying to find work and then advocating along the way. Uh, it's once you're kind of thrown in, I'm one of those whistleblowers where I never even thought I was whistleblowing at first. And it seemed just like just something you need to do right. of like raising like that. And then, you know, then you're carried on this path where your life is never the same. So I'm on that path. Um, and as I'm seeing things where I'm hoping things could be improved in some way, even if it's education, I'm trying to do that. So publishing articles, speaking about the experience, and really trying to, to help people understand 
that whistleblowers, when they come forward, there's a very high percentage that their lives will just be destroyed, whether yeah. they're right or wrong. Yeah. And that, that so percentage we, is pretty darn close to 100%. You know, 99.9. Yeah. yeah. Ashley Giovic, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your courageous whistleblowing. Thank you, John. Thank so good you. to talk to you. Thank you. Ashley Giovic blew the whistle at the largest company in the world, Apple. It can't possibly have been easy. You heard it yourself. It could not have been a decision to be taken lightly, but it's always worth it. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need whistleblowers. We wouldn't need them because companies, governments, and individuals would do the right thing. They wouldn't lie, cheat, steal, and try to cut corners. They would have the best interests of the public in mind, but that is not real life. We have whistleblowers because we need them. We have whistleblowers because at least somebody goes into government or into banking or into the corporate world with a clear-cut sense of right and wrong. Yes, the price of whistleblowing can be very high, but where would we be without the Ashley Govics of the world? I'm grateful for people like her. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Whistleblowers. I'm John Kiriakou. We'll see you next time.